And here's what I want to ask you. What is holding you back? What is the thing that's holding you back from going after your dreams and from finding meaningful work you love? Aren't you ready to wake up to the possibilities that are in your life and go after the things you've dreamt of? It's time for you to feel alive again, lit up, and for you to know that you're deserving and you are worthy for the future that's waiting for you. I want you to feel fulfilled and find abundance in your life. I think it's time and I'm ready to help you get started. Now I'm your host, Kristen, of Building a Life You Love. And each week on the show, we're going to help you figure out how you do go after your dreams and find work you love. Here we go. Let's get started. On today's episode, we're going to talk about going after new dreams and career goals, even as we hit our 40s and 50s or whatever age you are. I think you're going to really enjoy Debbie's story about stepping into becoming a jazz singer and writing her own songs and album in her 40s, and then also going on to writing a book. Also, we're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about the secret to having a long-lasting marriage that is thriving and full of love and understanding. So take a listen. Hi, today on the show, I would like to welcome Debbie Cunningham. She is a jazz singer and recording artist and songwriter. She is also the author of the book, Dancing in the Kitchen, and a speaker who is passionate about encouraging couples to cultivate lasting love. I'd like to welcome Debbie to the show. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Kristen. Thanks. The first thing I would love to do is have you share a little bit about your journey to getting to this point and all the things you have going on and a little bit about your backstory with the listeners. Well, um, in 2005, I was a stay-at-home mom and my kids were seven and 10 at the time. And all my life I had been a singer. And I mean, I sang in church choirs and schools and all that. Um, I went to college for music. I have a Bachelor of Music in Vocal Performance from Temple University. So I had in my sights hoping to pursue a career in music. But then I fell in love and got married to my high school sweetheart. And then a few years down the road, we had children. And so I had been a stay-at-home mom for about 10 years when I was about to turn 40. And I was thinking a lot about my life. And where I had been and what I had accomplished. And I realized that I still had dreams to fulfill. And, and so I began really thinking about, um, you know, what I wanted to do in the next 40. And that's when I started to really give myself permission to pursue music again. So after that, I, I did do that. I went back to school for jazz and then I, um, did that for 10 years and then. One thing led to another. After I had a couple albums out, I ended up writing a book about marriage. And we can talk more about that later. But um, it's been a really amazing journey to finally give myself permission to pursue my love of music. So, oh, I love it. It's so inspiring. And at first, I'd let me just say your music is so beautiful. You have a gorgeous voice and the lyrics and the songs they are, they're just very warm and comforting and obviously very, you know, they're celebrating the journey of long term love, but they're, I don't know, they just make you feel really good, you know, put you in a good mood. So I'm so glad. Thank yeah. You. So thank you for your beautiful music and, and the many encouraging stories and words you share in your book, because I know one thing we're going to talk about later is that often we don't talk about the many things we need to do in our relationships. Of course, we'll talk about marriage, but also in our main relationships 
on how we need to nurture them and keep growing them in order for them to thrive. So I look forward to talking about that with you. But before then, I do want to talk about when you were reaching 40 and you started reflecting on your life and, and realized, you know, hold on, I'm proud. You know, I've, I've been raising these two children. I'm in this marriage. You know, you're putting in all the work there. But a lot of us look back at some point, whether it's 40 or 50 or 60 and go, hold on, what else do I want to do? Do you have any advice for people on how we, if we're starting to kind of ask ourselves those questions, were there any tools, I guess, or things you did to try to decide what to do next? Of course, you already loved music, but was there anything that helped you through that process of stepping into your dream career? Yes. I think the first thing you do, you need to do is give yourself permission. I think, especially as women, we, we struggle with that. We're waiting for someone else to give us permission, or at least I was. And I know a lot of my friends have been that way. I was waiting for someone else to choose me, even when I first came to Nashville. And I did a lot of background vocal singing back then when we first came to Nashville and no one chose me to be an artist. Right. So but I had this passion and I laid it down, obviously, to raise my kids. And I thought, oh, I guess that just wasn't for me. But that urge kept coming back. And so one thing is pay attention to your desires yeah. and things that you love to do that really give you life and refresh you and make you feel alive because it's those things that you have to offer the world. So pay attention to those and give yourself permission to dream. And I think sometimes as moms, if we aren't mothers, or even if we're just, if we're stuck in a season where we feel like we're trapped in this one thing, whatever that thing is, yeah. is that I can't, I gave myself permission to go, you know what, maybe I can be something more than mom, even though I love being mom. It was right. a, a priority to me. So you have to give yourself permission to dream again, and to know that you can do something else. But also, you have to give yourself permission to fail. Because I think we fear of failure keeps us from starting. And then sometimes fear of success keeps us from growing. Yeah, so, yeah I think so. There is a quote I actually might share at the end of this podcast that I just saw today. But the gist of it was that, and I talk about identity a lot. Like you said, we get wrapped up in the identity we've had already. Mother or, you know, maybe we're doctor or we're technologist, whatever our career has been, teacher, but we get tied up in those titles and those identities and the roles. It could be a, you know, or church volunteer, whatever it is. Right. We get too tied to the title and the identity that sometimes it holds us back or it holds us in place. And I think what's important is, and so this quote went on to say how we should not be tied to any of those things or to people or places or things. We should be tied to either our purpose or our calling or our mission. And for you, to your point, urge that pull to sing, you know, is is really part of your mission, right? That's how you serve people. And that's how you bring them joy and happiness. And so I think that's important for us to remember is we, we need to not let identities define us so much because we do. I mean, that's our culturally, I think we do. So I think that was a really good point about you know, we can be this and something else. We can add to our identities. And even if our identities change, it doesn't devalue us. It doesn't make us less worthy. It means it's a season for something new. Yes. And, you know, I want to add to that. The Also, there was a fear. I felt like perhaps I'm too old. 
And sometimes our identity with our age mm-hmm. keeps us from trying new things or going after a dream. And I mean, obviously, at um, you know, there are certain things you can't do as you age, you know. Uh, and so I think that just giving yourself permission to go down that road, but maybe you can still do that thing, but it might look a little differently. But I think we hold ourselves back with age. And yet so many people in their 50s, 60s, 70s have gone on to do amazing things. And so I I really think that we need to just take the age thing out and um, not be afraid of that either. Absolutely. I actually, when I've talked to people on occasion, whether it's doing mentoring or during an interview, they'll say sometimes, oh, I'm so old. And I'm just kind of like, hold on, stop. I'm near your age and I'm never going to say that, you know, because to me, it really is a mindset. And your point, it doesn't really matter the age. People have proven forever that that you can start something new, like you said, at any age. You know, there's people that are modeling, right, that are 75 or 80 because someone said, oh, they said they're glowing. They're so beautiful, even at that age. So I think right. the point is, is we just have to go up. We just have to be willing to show up and right. not worry so much about the age or about what do we have to offer? How can we serve? Yes, absolutely. So the next thing I want to ask you is, first of all, I love it that you said you we do have to give ourselves permission because you are right. A lot of us think, oh, well, to be a good mom, uh, and everybody defines that differently, but right now in this season, I need to be available to my family. So maybe I need to put something on hold. And that's surely true for some people. But I think I would encourage them, whichever, whatever your season is, you do have permission to hone your craft or to work on something or to find ways to stay connected to what you love. It doesn't mean that you have to step into it in such a big way that you wouldn't be available, right, to your family or to whatever else is you're doing. Or if you have a full-time job, that's understandable. You may currently need that job to pay the the bills. But I would say it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to fit in little spurts of the thing you love. And like you were talking about the interests you have, because I think if we keep, if we stay in touch with those things, as we learn that we have permission and that our season's changing and we're ready for a new possibility, we'll be prepared more so. Yes, absolutely. It. Instead of saying, oh, for 10 years or five years or 20 years, I I did nothing with this passion or this love of mine. So that's the first thing I was encourage people to find little ways to keep that hobby, that interest or that passion going in their lives. Alive. I would say it's really, really critical because what happens is, and I'm going to speak specifically to married married women. Yeah. What happens is a lot of women get so involved with being, you know, the mom and running the household and all of that. Or even if they have a job outside the home, the job inside the home is a job and it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of your energy. But if you wait to cultivate those passions until they leave, you there's this big chasm. And so many women are sorry that they waited to just have it on the back burner. It can just be on a simmer as you're learning to do, move into this new calling or business that you want to do maybe full-time after the kids are gone. If you wait though, it's really hard when one thing ends and another, you have this abrupt stop when you're, when the last one leaves and then you're supposed to start something new from scratch and you feel it's just hard. It's a hard season. And I see a lot of women struggle with that and they wish that they had had done it incrementally along the way. And so there are ways to keep it on the back burner. And that's what I did. I didn't step into it full time when my kids were seven and 10. I built it slowly on the back burner. I had to be at home. My 
husband traveled a lot. So, I mean, we worked together and he was very supportive. And so it's definitely something that you need to be doing along the way. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. So, you know, I would love to learn a little bit more about when you, you know, you've written, I think it was, it's two, you released two jazz albums yes. and then, and then you've, then you went on to write the book. Those are both first for you when you first did those things, right? You, you had done yes. neither. Can you tell us about that process of, you know, I'm sure it was intimidating, right? To release yes. your first <laughs> album and come up with the songs and then get them produced. And then the book, you hadn't done that before. So can you tell us about that process and how did you keep stepping through the things you had never done before? I have a process that I use. It's called the Dame Method. I came up with it myself. And it's decide, assess, make a plan, and execute it. And I literally started with an end in mind. I was like, I don't know how to make it. I don't know how to record an album. Mm-hmm. So I decided, so my where I started was at the end. I want to hold an album in my hand. What does that yeah. take? Well, I have to do this process, and then I have to do this process. Well, before I can hold it in my hand, I, someone has to uh, manufacture it. Before that, I have to get artwork. Before that, I have to have songs. Before that, I have to go into the studio. Before that, I actually have to choose the songs and I have to choose the players and hire the players and go. So I literally went backwards. And that's how I've done everything. Going from the end result that I want and moving backwards. And then, so the first album, I actually, because I was in music, I mean, I had gone to school for music. I had a great friend uh, who is a jazz pianist in college. I studied classical music, not jazz. And he used to come into my practice room in college and say, you really need to be singing jazz. And I thought he was crazy. And then, but I loved jazz. I loved that romantic jazz, like, you know, Nat King Cole. And and now we have Michael Buble and Diana Krall and all of those. But so I did that. And then when I did my second album, I actually, it was another first because I actually wrote the whole thing. I wrote all the songs. Yeah. And I actually produced that album and I'd never done that before. And, but that album was about, you know, all these songs about the journey of celebrating long-term love. And after that, all my fans, so many of them and colleagues were like emailing me and saying, you need to write a book on this. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, I don't know how to write a book. So I figured, well, I'll just talk to people and figure out how to do this. Yeah. So again, it's that process of, starting where you want to end up right. and go backwards in the process of what you need to do. But the biggest decision is deciding the biggest thing that we stumble with. And most women stumble with is making that decision to start. Yep. Now I think, Oh my gosh. I love that because two things you're right. You, if you just decide to start, it's, it is the key because we, we shifted our mindset, right? That like, okay, this is what I'm stepping into. I'm going to make it happen. But I actually think it's, just as important what you just said about what's the end goal and how do I make progress towards that? Because a lot of people get stuck in the first five or 10 steps to do something. And we spin our wheels trying to figure out this one little thing or make something perfect. Like, Oh, well, what's the book title? What's the, when those are details, not that they're not important details, but I think, like you said, knowing where you're going, it would just be like a trip. You don't, you don't just start driving and say, let's figure it all out. We know, we know in the GPS or where we're driving where the destination is. So we start heading in the right direction. So I think it's actually really important that you pointed that out, that if we look at the end result we want, we just start ticking off things that are going to get us there instead of getting stuck in those first couple steps of, well, I can't get the recording room or I can't get this, or I haven't, you know, 
because we can get stuck in trying to perfect things instead of just starting to move the things, all the pieces forward. Yes. And I'm a perfectionist and a planner. And so I, I want to get all my ducks in a row before I do the next step. And sometimes you just have to take the next step. Right. What's the next step you can do? And once you've reverse engineered it, you've literally wrote, written down, this is what needs to happen last. This is what needs to happen before that, before that, before that. Then you start your list and you go forward and you go, okay, the first thing I have to do is choose songs. And so that was a hard process, but I pulled in my friend to help me. Like, how do I even begin to pull songs in from an album? Because does it need to have a theme? Does it need, you know, you think about all of those things. And so, um, and the funny thing is my very first album is called The Rest of Your Life because I love that song. It's what are you doing the rest of your life is the song. And I, that's where I was. I was thinking about what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And so that was the title cut of the album. Yeah. You actually have to go step by step and just do just the next thing. You don't have to look, do the third thing on the list. Just do the next thing that will move you forward. Yeah. And that's how you progress. Now, listen, this has been a progress over 15 years. I have two albums and a book and I'm speaking, you know, I'm doing all of these things now. I did, I produced my own album. But this process took 15 years to do. The book alone took me a couple of years. This wasn't, I decided to write a book and it was out in a year. It takes so much time. So, and give yourself grace in the process. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And you're right, because a lot of people, if they think, you know, some people might say, oh yeah, I just, I've I've seen a couple of people that had written books before and then they knocked out a book during COVID, like a new book. (laughs) But two things, one, those people have written other books or they already had the book in Prague process, right? And so they might have tweaked it for what's going on in the world now. But but the process up to that point took a long time. If right. it's somebody that says, oh, I just released this book and I just most of the time, but to your point, most of us have been working on something for years prior, in other words, right. before people see it in the world. So that's yes, the- I only said that because I want to encourage women, right. but it's not a fast process. None of right. this stuff is fast. It's a process. Right. But it's all about just taking those small steps and I agree. And I say all the time, sometimes I have to stop myself. I want to get all the way across the river on the stepping stones to the other side. And I want to actually, I want to know what all the step, steps are to the other side of the river. And I have to remind myself, I only have to know which, where the next step is across, right? I don't have to see every stepping stone to know that I'm going to get there. I just have to have the faith and, and be willing to take that next step, you know, because normally our whole path isn't going to be lit up, right? No, it's not. So the next thing I want to talk about is, did this, what about support? So for some people, I think we either don't share our hopes and dreams and what we want to step into with people, maybe because of fear, or we're not, we don't, we don't feel confident that we could maybe do it. But then two, it's because maybe around them, they're not sure they're going to get the support from their spouse or their friends. And sometimes that's true because people are not expecting you to say what you do. Do you have any advice on getting, you know, making sure we have the support we need because we do need cheerleaders or people around us that are going to encourage us and help us kind of stay the path. Yes. I did have support with my husband. He was so great about it. And it was a big thing because it was going to take time away from home when I went back to school for jazz. And then when I was singing out and one time I felt guilty. I want to talk about guilt just real quick. And then Mm -hmm. I will answer that question fully that my so I was coming in after doing like I was staying out at a, it was a nighttime class. So when I came home and I was singing and doing a few gigs on the side and I came home and tucked my son into bed and he was mom. I liked it when you were just my mom, not a mom slash singer. 
And I was like, oh, I, you know, I felt guilt, the mom guilt of being, yeah. I was available to him all the time, but I just occasionally had to be out. And my husband heard it and he was so sweet. And he said, hey, baby, he said, mom has given her life to us, but mom has gifts and talents that God gave her and wants her to use in the world. And we need to support her now. And I was so taken back by that. And I, it was such a blessing to me because it's easy for me to move into mom guilt because I, I don't want to abandon my family or my kids. And so, but, so that's important to just deal with the guilt thing and know that, you know, you're allowed to use your gifts and talents. Now, sometimes people don't get support at home. And I find it really, really crucial that you find women who are also like-minded in pursuing their things. And so I've been involved in a lot of entrepreneurial groups, feminine uh, women who are pursuing their careers or, or pursuing a side hustle um, in the Nashville area. And so I was part of several of them. They've changed names now. Um, Fem City is one. There was a um, there was an allies in biz group and it was all women. And so we could talk about, you know, we met every couple of weeks and talk about the throes of being in business for yourself or pursuing an entrepreneurship which is hard. And so you need to have that community around you. You definitely need to seek that out in your area. Absolutely. I agree. And same here. I've been in lots of local groups and then of course, online groups. I know we've, we've yes. been in one together yes. or more than one online group of women, you know, that are doing similar things, but I will. And so I think that's super important. Like you said, you have to find the support, even if it doesn't, Yes. if it's not obvious. And even if you have a supportive spouse or good friend around you, Often they're not walking through what you're walking through. And so even if you have that, I think it's super important. Like you said, find additional people that are at your same stage, maybe ahead of you as well and behind you because you'll all lift each other up. Yes, I absolutely believe that because it's really important. Okay. First of all, like the whole online thing, I'm not a tech pro and it's overwhelming to me. I needed to be with other women when I said, okay, I have to do this website or I'm going to be on a podcast. Like, can someone show me how to hook this up? You know, and my husband's not in that world. And so he, and even just, you know, Facebook ads and all of this stuff that we are now needing to learn. You have to be in a group of people that are under, that understand your process of what you're doing so that they can also help you. Yeah. I think it's crucial to survive. I do too. Well, and actually most people that have found some left, like a mid to high level of success, they'll say, you know, I mean, when they look back, it's who they surround themselves with, right? Yes, who we rise with. So I think that's super important, but I do want to come back to what you talked about, about guilt. It is actually a topic and we don't always talk about it. I do talk about it on occasions, even already on the podcast, but it's super important. Men don't have the same sort of guilt. Most men that women do. And it, it comes from so many things, but we, one, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and then we put a lot of guilt on ourselves. And you're right. I have a lot of friends that will say, not that I've never had mom guilt. Of course I have, but I have it less than a lot of my girlfriends. I think because I've always had entrepreneurial things going on. So at least once or twice, almost always, even my kids were really, really little, I would go on a work trip just for a couple of days. So they were used to that. But, and I knew that when I was there, those are the only days I was really gone, you know, otherwise right. I was home and then pretty available to them. But I have friends that they'll literally have mom guilt for like meeting for one hour and their kids are teens, like out to dinner with their girlfriend. And they're like, oh, I just feel so guilty. And I'm, 
you know, so I think we sort of glamorize not only over busy schedules, which we do, we're over, we're glamorizing though, this mom guilt thing. Like I think people feel like it's a badge of honor instead of realizing, hold on to your point, we're, we're this whole person and a being a mother is a big part of that, but it's not the only part of us. Well, I think it, it, I think that it's also an example to our children to step out and do those things and not become usurped or enmeshed in just being a mom. There's nothing wrong with just being a mom. Right. But if you lose your identity, yes. if, if Kristen or Debbie's identity becomes mom only and we have nothing else to offer the world, do you know what I'm saying? You yeah. can literally lose your identity in that. And a lot of women do. And then when their kids leave, they don't know what to do with themselves because their identity is completely yeah. tied into being a mom. You're still a mother, but when they fly the coop, they're off going and doing their thing. Yeah. Then what do you do? Then what's your identity? Then they're, they, I mean, I've talked to women who are just, they're spiraling because they have to have their kids there because that's right. how they found their identity. And that's, the, you're, you can't put your identity in your children. That's right. Well, to your point, I think also a lot of us have tied too much. We've tied our joy or happiness through our kids and being a mother, which don't get me wrong. It's wonderful that we can get joy and happiness and in serving our children and loving them. But to your point, we are a holistic person. We have more pieces. And so we have to keep doing those things that light us up, even if it's just little bits. You know, whether it's conversation with other moms that are going through the same thing, whether it's doing a hobby. But I, yeah, I would encourage women, as you said, you have to keep doing things that light you up that are, that go beyond your current identity as a mom or a wife. And I think keep finding other things that give you connection to people and to your passions. Absolutely. And I think that if you, if you tie your entire identity to your children, your marriage will suffer. Yeah. It will suffer then, and it will suffer when they leave, when the empty nest hits. Absolutely. So it's it's really really important to to take the to be attentive to your whole person. Yep, agreed. Yep. Well, yeah, because you have to have fulfillment in all the parts of you. So yep. I, I think that's so true. So I do want to jump over to you know I think when we talked before this call, we talked about how June is obviously it kicks off wedding season. Yes. And with that, I want to talk about marriage and just relationships for two reasons. One, as I talked about before recorded, I think to have a, you know, build a life you love and to have a meaningful life, it includes having rich relationships that you continue to nurture and grow, you know, that aren't stagnant. So for me, I think it's a really important topic, whether you're married or not married, or you're just in a long-term or looking for a long-term relationship. I think the things we're about to talk about are are really key and they're things I hope people take to heart because I think they are really important, especially in a time when, as we know, marriages every day, right, are struggling and, um, you know, people are getting divorced. But I think if we all put a little more effort in on the, the front side, it would be a little easier to stay married like both of us have done for, you know, 20, over 30 years. So let's jump into that. I guess the first thing I'd say is, do you have any overall suggestions or advice, tips for people on how we nurture our relationships, especially our marriages? Yes, I think some people forget that that takes time to nurture a relationship. You have to give it time. You have to attention and time. The biggest key is 
keep having fun. You must have fun in your relationship. And frequently in marriage, you, you listen, how does your relationship start before you get married? You have fun together. You go out on dates, you do fun things. You have these long walks, you have coffee, you have dinner, you go to the movies, you bowl, whatever it is you do. You have fun together. That is how your relationship is built. And we get married and we settle down and we pay the bills and we have our jobs and then we might have kids and a dog and all these responsibilities and we forget to have fun. And that is the number one key to shifting your relationship is to have fun again, especially if you're not, because that's a place where you connect deeply and emotionally and where emotional intimacy is built is in having fun together. And if you're not having fun with your spouse, you'll, it, it really will deter. A lot of affairs start because one spouse will have fun or enjoy the company of the opposite sex and they will, you know, they have fun together and they laugh and it's lighthearted instead of all the heavy stuff at home, which is the bills, the kids, the yada, yada, yada. And so I think that that's one of the most important things to do is to go back and go, are we having fun? And if we're not, how can we begin to enjoy our relationship more? What can we do together that would bring joy again? Oh, I think that's the key right there to all of it. Like you just said, and you pointed out it is. Wow. I love that because the honest truth is if you ask most people that are struggling, I mean, every marriage, of course, it's a ebb and a flow and we'll talk yes, about all absolutely. that. Absolutely. But most marriages or people I know that have struggled, you know, in that season, maybe they're, they're still together. It is. It's when they're, you can see it. Their level of irritation has escalated. They're, they're quick to snap. They're frustrated. Like you said, I think they just feel like the pressure keeps mounting and you don't see them breaking away to go have the fun because they keep letting those things build instead of saying, hold on, let's assess what's going on here. And like you said, okay, what are we missing? Right that's going on. So I think that's super important. What about, I know um, in a marriage and in, in any relationship, we have to be intentional with our relationship and what we want out of it. And then we also have to make a decision, right? To show up and to be all the things kind and respectful, committed, uh, intimate. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? How do we be more, how can we be more intentional in our marriages and then show up and be those things to the other person? I talk in my book about in dancing in the kitchen, it's all about lightheartedness, recapturing that lightheartedness in your marriage. But I talk about how when we first get together, I talked about the dating piece, but we're super intentionally kind. You know, even in a friendship, it's not just about marriage, but in a marriage relationship, when you fall in love with someone, you're like, oh, I want to be with them. I'll go 20 minutes out out of my way just to bring him a cup of coffee so I can see him and have a hug or whatever. And it's silly in some ways, you think the silly giddy thing, but we actually feed our relationship by doing all these intentionally kind things. We go out of our way to bring them. Okay, so you're married and you get up early in the morning, you make the coffee and you bring it to them in bed or whatever. You know, I there's a list of things. They drop something on the floor and you pick it up and go, oh, he just wasn't paying attention or whatever it is. I'm just saying we go out of our way to be intentionally kind. And so if we will start to do that in our relationship, I think you'll see a shift. But And it's forgiving every day, mm-hmm. forgiving the small stuff. It, I'm not saying slough off the things that really need to be dealt with, right. but you have, you have to take a time out and, and go, okay, what can I shelve? You can't, you can't deal with all the things all at once, right. one thing at a time. And 
nobody else, you don't want to be dealt with that way. You know what I mean? Treating each other the way you want to be treated, you know, if you're, you know, exploding every time he doesn't put the dish in the dishwasher, you know, when you ask, can you just put it in the dishwasher? That was my pet peeve, you know, don't leave it on the counter, put it in the dishwasher, because how long does it take to do that? But also, sometimes they just get interrupted and giving people grace, you know, and, and thinking, giving them the benefit of the doubt, because you do that when you first get together, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I wish he had done this. I wish he had done that. But maybe they got interrupted or whatever. And so I think that's really important. Am I answering your question? (laughs) Yeah, you are. Uh, And actually, I'll piggyback on that and then we can keep going. But a couple things that you said that I I was just going to add to that. Well, actually, the last thing you just said about, I think you're right, because I think we have to be honest with ourselves about, you know, reflecting on our day and our week and saying, what were all my interactions like with my spouse or this person today? What were they like for this week? We have to be honest because to your point, if we only had 10 interactions with them, right? Because we're both, if people, both people are at work or whatever, were seven or eight of the interactions us harping, even if we don't think it's harping, if it was, oh, did you take the trash out yet? Do oh, you didn't put your dish away? Hold on. Can you do, wait, didn't you see that when there was a mess there? To the spouse, it can start coming off like every time I'm with them, they're just complaining. Critical. 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 And so I think we have to be honest about our role in that. And to your point, gosh, if I realize I'm doing that, I need to check myself, especially if they're small things, not big issues that need to be brought up or dealt with or talked about. And then I need to say, hold on, what can I do? Like you said, to have fun or to be silly or to disconnect from all the obligation. And then go say, let's go take a walk. Let's go ride bikes. Let's go out to dinner, even if we weren't planning on it, right? But in other words, get out of the environment that keeps letting you or or your spouse be the nitpicker because we there are a million things to do around the house and with children and schedules. So I think we have to be honest about that, about our own role in that. Absolutely. And I will tell you that I had to think about this. Like when when I was at home with the little kids and my husband, he he was traveling every other week. And so he would walk in the door and I was exasperated. And the first thing I wanted to say to him was not welcome home. I love you. I missed you. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, do you know what they did today? And it was like, <sighs> yeah, the poor guy was like, okay, welcome home to me. And so, and you know what? In reverse, if I was gone, sometimes he felt the same way. Like, oh my gosh, they were like, and the first thing I wanted to deal with when I came in the door was not everything that went wrong. You know, and so you have to be intentional about saying, about taking that pause when they come home to greet them, either spouse. It doesn't matter who works outside the home, Um, but greeting them and not throwing the cares of the day on your spouse the moment they walk in the door. Do they want to come home if you do that every day? No, no, that does not make them want to come home. It doesn't make me want to come home. So if you stop and think about your role in that and then switch. And so maybe you can just remind yourself, give them a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have to talk about stuff, let's just not do it in the first 15 minutes when they walk in the door. I think it's, again, it's about intentionality, looking at what not, at what is not working. Yeah. Because if you're angry and frustrated all the time with your spouse, you're, 
it's not one-sided. You're you, it's reciprocal. There's some, there's a dance going on in that where you're, you're feeding each other and it's all negative. And even if you have difficult issues, I think that you have to take a pause, a timeout, and you need to go out on a date and you cannot talk about the issues. You have to find something that you both enjoy and go do it because that will fuel your relationship. Laughter is good medicine. I mean, it's good medicine. The Bible talks about that, but I mean, it's, it's reality. It's science. You can, it is good medicine. It rejuvenates you. You, there are all kinds of great chemicals in the brain when you're having fun and you're laughing and finding joy. And it's so crucial. And when you don't make that an intention, it just dissipates. I mean, there's a quote out there by an anonymous person and it says, because I've tried and tried to find it, but it's called untended fires soon die. It becomes just a pile of ashes. And if you think about it, if you don't keep stoking the fire on a relationship, any relationship, it will die out because it comes embers. And in a marriage, actually, it's my, a friend of mine's husband said this. He said, marriage is like a flower. And he said, you can stomp on it and kill it, or you can just not water it. Either way, it will die. And I was like, that's brilliant. So we have to learn to intentionally water this relationship if we want it to flourish. Yeah. And, and I think I've heard some people say their strategy for handling things, like you said, especially when your kids are young or it's a busy season, it's easy. Like you said, if one person is either running the household or in the other one's working outside of the home or whatever the scenario is, but It's that they don't, like you said, not only in the first 15 minutes, don't then say, oh, it's been 15 minutes. I'm going to just dump on them about my day. It's okay. You know, we have guidelines like, okay, after we sit down and have dinner, we have our time to chit chat. We're going to talk about all the good of the day first, right? The positive things before we bring up the craziness of the day. And so some people have little cues for themselves or like a little schedule, if you will, just to try to keep it lighter hearted or, okay, we have a time and a place where we address this. Yes. The other thing I would say is if you're finding that you're in a place like that, where you're so frazzled at the end of every day, and I think most every mom has felt this before. Of course I have, I have three sons, <laughs> you know, they're older now, but yeah, I've been there a lot, but I, I know when I hit that wall and I think the point is, is we maybe need to look at a strategy or getting someone to come over and help us like a mother's helper or a neighbor or a girlfriend say, you know what? I'm really struggling at these couple hours. Can I figure out a different way? Because it's not fair to you, right? To be at your wits end and exhausted every day like that. But like you said, it's also not fair to your marriage. And right. so it's not just about you. It could be that the, lots of dads are stay-at-home dads now. It's just whomever the person is that's that overwhelmed and exhausted because you're going to go through that season. I think it's, can we figure out other ways that are affordable to walk us through that? Well, I think you can't, you have to, you have to pay attention to your whole health and your mental health and all of that in the relationship. Like you can't neglect your needs, even as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as a wife, you know, no matter what you're doing, like do something creative and refreshing to you which I didn't for a lot of years. I didn't really take the time out again with a mom guilt. I felt guilty sometimes taking the time out a regular time to go and refuel myself. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, I mean, for some people, it's just like going to a store 
and walking around with no kids with you, you know, um, just to do that. And so I think it's really, really important that you pay attention to what your needs are. Yeah. Because you might just need to be refreshed and you're, you're so frazzled and drained. And a lot of marriages, you're just so at the end of your wits that you just need rest and restoration. Right. To begin to start fresh. Yeah. You might be depleted. You know, when you go through difficult seasons of grief or things happen, uh, you know, look at COVID or financial crashes, people losing their job. I mean, there's a ton of stress and strain there. And it's going to weigh on you physically and mentally. And then you lash out at the people that are closest to you. But it can really, if you don't, if you don't call a truce there and go, okay, I got to figure out what's going on with me and, and meet my needs, get my needs met so that I can be my best self in this relationship. Right. So that's really important. So let me, let me ask you, what about any ideas for how people can find more connecting points in their daily daily or monthly lives with their spouse or in the relationships and then talking about expectations. You know, do we, do we need to be clear with our spouse about what we need and what we want? And so do you have any advice on that? Yeah, I think you need to have, I definitely think there's a lot of unspoken expectations we have of one another. Hmm. And we also like our spouse might say something and we interpret it different than they meant it. You know, and I've heard this modeled, you know, when you, when you said that I felt this way, I, I, we actually use that Derek and I do when you said blah, 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 or when you did that thing, I felt this way. And they'll be like, I didn't mean it that way, but that's how your brain, because of your past, your baggage, your, your journey through this world into this moment, um, all of those things have affected who you are. And so you might interpret something as insensitive or rude and that they didn't even mean it that way. And so we have to learn to communicate better, to listen, to not interrupt, which women in general are worse at that than men. They're really interrupting when our spouse is speaking and it makes them feel disrespected. It makes a man feel disrespected if you're interjecting in the middle of his sentence, but also for women it makes a woman feel invisible when she says something and you don't respond at all to know that you heard her. Yeah. Because sometimes I used to say, did you hear me? Yes. How am I supposed to? So been there, both of those things. Yes. And so, but I'm a terrible interrupter. I had to work yeah. so hard at not interrupting and it wasn't intentional. I wasn't trying to interrupt, but we get so passionate about what we want to say, but being, giving each other grace, and working on that and saying, I'm so sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you. Just in that moment, it diffuses the anger if you say, I, I truly am. I was not my intention to do that. Or I'm so sorry I hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to do that. There's nothing wrong with apologizing when you stepped on someone unintentionally. And so I think that that's a huge communication thing that needs to be addressed. Listening better to one another. But I'm, I'm not answering your full question. So can you tell me again? what? Oh, I, yeah, I, I probably should have done one at a time. But that was, yeah, you answered the expectation communication. That was really good. Oh, I think the only other thing I was asking is, are there any suggestions for how do we, especially if maybe we have a strained relationship right now because of everything going on, COVID and all the extra stresses, and maybe we've been together so much. How do we find more connecting points? We talked yeah. about a little bit of that, not in that way, but. 
I just wonder if you had any other things to tips on that. Yes. One of the couples I interviewed, they were a military couple and they, their relationship was super strained. They were in another country. They were in Germany actually. And they, they were like two ships passing in the night and things weren't good at home and things were really tough. And her husband finally said, something's got to change or this relationship isn't going to last. And he wanted, this is what's funny. He said, I think we need to start a weekly date night. And she was like, the last thing I wanted to do was go on a date with this man, yeah. her husband. Cause she said we, I was so frustrated with him and, and all that. And she said it was really, really hard to, to make that a priority. But he said, we're not, we, we, we don't even have dinner together anymore. Like you're eating one room. I'm in another. We're barely talking. This is not working. And so they literally shifted and said, okay, one day a week, we're going to do something fun. Sometimes they just stayed home and played a board game or something, but they chose to be intentional to do that. And I think you have to start doing some work in uh, exploration work on what you enjoy, and what your spouse enjoys. Because I, I know people say, oh, well, we don't like the same things. And I'm like, did you never like the same things? What did you do when you dated? Go for a walk together. You know, there are times that you know, Derek and I, when we walk, we uh, frequently we hold hands. Not always, but frequently. But there are times that we have walked and held hands, even if we were annoyed with each other. And that, but it was a habit. You have to start building in habits of connection. Like, can we go for a walk and hold hands, even if we're mad? Because I think that because what will happen is there's something in that connection of choosing to connect. Or choosing to go on a date, have dinner together, choosing to watch a movie together, play a game, watch a comedian together. I mean, the connecting point think is is really part of having fun together. Those if you have something, but connecting points especially are something that you do, a habit of something you do over and over again. So it's not just going to dinner one week and go and do a movie next week. It's something that you do gardening, volunteering together, riding bikes together. Derek and I walk. I mean, we just walk. I mean, we just love to walk. So we do that a lot. And I think it's one of those things that even if we're in a disagreement, we can actually go for a walk together. And and that should habit somehow connects us and it softens our response. And so I think that if you build in habits in your relationship that you do something once a week, once a month, whatever it is, that's the same thing that it can really build a connection, a new hobby. You might even decide, hey, we need to start ballroom dancing. Derek and I started doing ballroom dancing. We love to dance, but we started ballroom dancing and that connected us in a deeper, emotional, intimate way. Right. So I think that you have to find those things. So you have to do a little bit of sleuthing to figure out what is it that you both like? What right. is it you both could do, you know, as you're, moving in this relationship and just decide I'm going to try to do something new with my spouse because I want this to work. Right. Those are great examples. And for instance, whether it has to do with the kindness thing or the connecting points, I'm the cook in the house, the chef, right? My husband's, you know, he just doesn't, he's like, oh, I can take you out to dinner, but he just doesn't cook. No, I mean, he'll put something on the plate for the kids if I'm gone, but he doesn't cook. But for Mother's Day, one of the things he got me was, and I had I had mentioned it a couple months ago, but he said, oh, we don't need it because we have this other thing. But he got me a flat top outdoor grill, like a uh -huh. castor, the big ones. Well, he's not a cook, but already after he bought it, he's like, oh, I'm going to try making eggs on it. 
So I was sitting out back, you know, drinking my coffee, reading a book and he doesn't always, I mean, he'll come sit outside with me in the evening sometimes, but I love the outdoors much more than he does. Yeah. But so normally in the mornings, he wouldn't be out there with me and he came out and he was, you know, learning to use the grill. But the point is, is he doesn't really cook, but he's excited to try cooking with this new device because it's something else we can do together. Yeah. You know, so the point is, is he's trying to pick up doing that because mm-hmm. he knows, you know, as our kids are getting older, they're teenagers and one's 19, right. but you know, and I've even told him it, it's okay if you don't cook, but if you come in the kitchen and sit with me and we have a conversation while I'm cooking, yes. it makes you feel like we're connecting and I'm not all alone by myself making dinner every night. Absolutely. Time. So, I mean, I'll have to have conversations like that and that uh, doesn't always happen. Of course, he's, he's trying to catch up on email and he coaches three soccer teams or at least used to. But the point is, is we have to talk about those things because to your point, we're going to be empty nesters in a couple more years. And so we're, look, we're finding new ways to connect and we already have other ways, but, and so we have to add to that, you know, I think those are good examples. And to your point, we don't have to do what we did yesterday or a year ago or five or 20 years ago right to keep reinventing like oh well this might be fun to try so i think that's a good good point that you brought up and it doesn't have to be something you do every night like he right. can come into the but knowing that it's really important to me to have conversation with you and not feel invisible like i am also the main cook you know he yeah. does cook on the grill some but he but when he's around and sometimes we cook together and sometimes he chops up vegetables or you know and we have that conversation time mm-hmm. those are simple things even just pausing to go outside, sit on the patio and watch the sunset. Cause I, right. I'm a big sunset. I love yeah. sunsets. And, and just even that moment where he's sitting with me, yeah. we're not doing anything. We might not even be talking or we might, but I mean, it's just sitting there and taking in that view. And I think it's these little things that connect us in our relationship, you know, and it doesn't have to be an hour. It can be right. 10 minutes. That's right. So it's really important though. Oh, I think this is so good. And I think obviously the key, the, the highlights there were, you know, we need to be having fun, right. With yeah, our significant absolutely. other, we need to find ways to be spontaneous or kind, you know, yeah. unexpectedly. So maybe, and then lastly, we just have to be intentional and put in the time, you know, like you said, even if it's only 15 minutes, that 15 minutes can make our day. If like you said, we're, we feel heard and seen and connected with our spouse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, such good stuff. Debbie, thank you so much for your time today. Can you share with us how people can connect with you online, find your book, download your songs and all that good stuff? Yes, we can find all of it at my website, which is www.debbiecunningham.net. And then um, my book's available at all the booksellers online, any any of them where you normally buy your book. Um, My Instagram is at debbiecunninghamofficial. And because there's many Debbie Cunninghams. <laughs> and then, and my music is all there. And I have marriage resources and a new marriage challenge called Enjoy Your Marriage More. It's a free five-day challenge. And if it's starting June 14th, I think, you can go to my website, sign up for it. But if you go there after the fact, obviously, this podcast will be out for a while, then just you can sign up for the next one if you want to do the Enjoy Your Marriage More challenge. And it's just five days to really hone in on some of these things we've talked about today. So you can go to debbiecunningham.net and find all the things. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all you're doing to inspire and encourage people with your beautiful music and, you know, trying to help people realize that we can, you know, 
marriage might be work, but it's worth it if we can all just, like you said, have a little more fun and find find ways to dance in the kitchen or just get together more. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Oh, I think that conversation today with Debbie was so rich with tidbits that you can take away and use in your marriage or just in your other relationships, right? About watering and nurturing our relationships and keep, you know, trying to do new things. And then I think the reminder that regardless of our age, when we feel kind of this pull to do something, to step into something else or to take a hobby and make it a business, we need to listen to that, that urge and that pull and move into that. So I would encourage you to do that. And I just want to leave you with the quote I kind of referenced earlier in the conversation. And the, it is, the words are by Erica Williams Simon. She says, the best career advice that I can give, don't ever attach yourself to a person, a place, a company, an organization, or a project. Attach yourself to a mission, a calling, a purpose only. That's how you keep your power and your peace. It's worked pretty well for me thus far. And I think the point of that is just saying that we will have lots of identities throughout our lifetime, but if we really understand the why of what, why we do things, why we choose a certain job or a certain profession at that, during that season, we will understand when, we, when it's time to step into something else. We'll understand when that opportunity leaves or that identity changes, that that's okay because we have a why bigger than that thing or that position or that company. So that's it. I would just encourage you to kind of see that perspective. You know, what is your big why and what is your, what are the passions you're going after in life and wanting to work towards? And I am excited. I'm going to share right after this a, a clip of Debbie's song, A Million Kisses. So you can kind of hear her, you know, her, a little tidbit of her music. It's definitely a treat. And here we go. think we do need to know what we want in order to define life on our terms. And we have to be willing to break the past scripts so that we can move into better and more beautiful and amazing things. And if you're ready to go after your dreams and define life on your terms, head on over to kristenfitch.com and download the free No Limits workbook to help you look at different ideas in front of you and how you might create, scale, and monetize those ideas. So you can start going after your dreams today. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have ideas for the show or guests that you'd like to recommend, I'd love to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at Kristen Fitch, or you can email me from the website. Thanks so much. And thanks again for listening in. Until next time, have a great week.